So I want you to grab uh, one of the black Bibles, probably on a chair near you or maybe under a chair near you, and turn to page 48. Page 48. Can everybody hear me okay? We're still figuring out the uh, setup here. Can you guys hear me? All right. Um, so uh, we're on page 48. Today we are beginning a new uh, sermon series. This will take us through most of the summer. It's called I Am Jesus in His Own Words. I Am Jesus in His Own Words. Um, but ironically, uh, to set the table today, we're not actually going to be uh, in the New Testament. We're going to be in the book of Exodus. So on page 48 um, is chapter 3. Of Exodus, and I think we've got the verses on the screen, um, uh, but they're also there on page forty-eight. I'm going to be reading the first fifteen verses of Exodus chapter three. So follow along with me as I read these words. It says, "Meanwhile, Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire within a bush." As Moses looked, he saw that the bush was on fire but was not consumed. So Moses thought, I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. Why isn't the bush burning up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, he answered. Do not come closer, he said. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he continued, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt and have heard them crying out because of their oppressors. I know about their sufferings and I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them from that land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. The territory of the Canaanites. Hethites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. So because the Israelites' cry for help has come to me, and I have also seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them, therefore go. I am sending you to Pharaoh so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses asked God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God answered, I will certainly be with you, and this will be the sign to you that I am the one who sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you will all worship God at this very mountain. Then Moses asked God, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how I am to be remembered in every generation. Who is God? For millennia, this question has plagued philosophers and scientists, pastors and skeptics, artists and students, homemakers and filmmakers. We've probably all wondered just who God is, yet for some of us, the question is not so much who is God, it's is God relevant? 
does he matter? Does it matter who God is? Does it change my life at all? And I want to say that I hear your questions. More importantly, I believe that God hears your questions. And he's not bothered that you're asking them. He's not afraid of our questions. In fact, the passage before us shows someone standing before God and asking, what's your name? Can I rephrase that? When Moses is standing there saying, what's your name? What he's really saying is, who are you? God, who are you? You see, the people of Israel were in captivity for 400 years in Egypt. We earlier talked about the life of Abraham, and God promised to Abraham that his descendants would inherit the promised land. But then after a while, Abraham's descendants ended up in 400 years of slavery in Egypt, which God predicted when he told Abraham and gave him this promise. The people of Israel at this moment in history, they are enslaved in Egypt. They are crying out for freedom. They are being brutally oppressed by the Egyptians. Moses has been raised as a prince in the house of Pharaoh. But he kills a man and he's sent into exile. And so he's living on the backside of the desert, living in the wilderness, becomes a shepherd, finds a wife, marries, marries a woman, starting a family on the backside of the desert. And as he's shepherding, as he's tending to his flock, he comes up onto this mountain, Mount Horeb, and he sees a bush that is on fire. Now, there's nothing remarkable about a bush that's on fire, but this bush was on fire, yet it would not burn up. It wasn't consumed by the fire. Now, I have trouble imagining that, much less explaining it, which is why it took Moses by surprise. And so he approaches this burning bush, and God says, take off your shoes. You are standing upon holy ground. And so Moses comes, and he begins to have this dialogue with God, who is appearing to him in this burning bush. And God appoints Moses to be the deliverer, the one who's going to go back to Egypt and liberate the people of God and bring them into the promised land. And so they're having this dialogue. And at the end, Moses is like, okay, fine. But if I go to Egypt and I tell the people, hey, you can trust me because God has sent me. He's like, that sounds a little fishy. So I need to be able to tell them who sent me. So what's your name? God, who are you really? I don't want what's on the church marquee sign. I don't want the Christian lingo. God, who are you for real? That's what Moses is asking. And it's a life and death matter for Moses because he's going to show up back in Egypt and in basically start a, a slave revolt. He's going to try to overthrow what Pharaoh is doing. This is a life and death matter. And if he's going to get millions of Jewish people to follow him and to put their lives on the line, he has got to be sure of the identity of this God in the burning bush. So he says, who are you? What's your name? And God answers him in verse 14. God replied to Moses and he said, I am who I am. 
This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Now, Sonia and I are um, trying to come up with a name for our, our third child. Due in a couple of months, three months, uh, and uh, it's a boy. But it would probably not sound normal if we were to say, hey, we're going to name our, our son I am. That seems a little bit out of the ordinary. And this name was out of the ordinary. And Moses stands there, probably feeling the heat from the burning bush, probably feeling the, the heat from the hot sand as he's standing barefoot with his sandals off to the side. And he hears this name thundering from the bush, I am who I am. And he's left to wonder, what does that mean? And you and I, we ask the same question that Moses asked. We ask, who are you? No, really. Who are you, God? And God looks at us, and he says, I am who I am. Don't know what you're thinking. If you're thinking, that's not very helpful. That doesn't tell me much about God. What I want to try to do over the next 20 minutes is unpack what this name means. I think the name I am which is what our entire sermon series over the next nine weeks is based upon, teaches us two highly significant things about God. I am who I am. First off, it means that God is self-existent. God is self-existent. So track with me here. This part is, is, a, is a little bit deeper, okay? So if you're talking to somebody and you're like, so Ashley, who are you? And she's like, I am. And you're like, well, but no, like, I mean, really, who are you? She's like, no, I, I just am. I exist. I am, I am being. It would sound really deep, and you think that maybe you haven't had a, enough time to sort that out in your mind. And I don't know if Moses totally understood everything that God was saying to him all at once. On this mountain. I think that he eventually figured it out. But what God is saying, what the, what the meaning of this name actually means, part of it, is the idea that God exists all by himself and he needs no other. So, let's contrast that with us to help us understand this idea of self-existence. Where did you come from? I'm sorry, I heard somebody say it, but where did you come from? parents. Okay, so that means that all of you exist because of the actions of somebody else, right? That's the way it works. We, we know how it works, but that's how it happens, right? You are not self-existent. None of us can walk around and say, oh, I just am. I am who I am. I'm just like pure existence. No, that's not what any of us can say. We say, well, I exist because my parents existed, and before them, their parents existed. And even if you don't know who both your parents are, even if both your parents weren't in the home, we all know that ultimately, or even if you were conceived through um, you know, these different medical technologies like in vitro fertilization, there still has to be something prior to you that brings you into existence. Am I right? Am I right? So none of us can say, oh, I just exist. I am who I am. I'm pure 
existence. But God, speaking to Moses out of the burning bush, he uses a name that speaks to the fact that he alone is self-existent apart from anything else. He is prior to everything else. He is unattached to everything else. He doesn't have parents. So there was a, a North African uh, theologian back in the fourth century. His name was Augustine. And Augustine said about this name, he said, God is absolute being. God is absolute being. And what he's saying here is that God is the first. Everything else comes from him. Now, like I said, I know this part is deep, okay? But this is who God is. This is the God that we say that we worship. This is the I am. This is why it meant so much to hear these two words uttered from the burning bush. If Moses, think about it, if Moses is looking for a God that's going to fight for his people, does he want a God who's been created by somebody else? Or does he want a God who's always been around? Does he want a God upon whom everything else is based and founded? Personally, I'd want a deliverer who was uncreated. Because if somebody made God... It means there's somebody more powerful than God. God says, Moses, go to the people of Israel and say, I am who I am. Say, I am has sent you. And what he's saying is that I am alone, the self-existent God. I need no other. And you can worship me. You can follow me. You can trust me because this is who I am. God is self-existent. But he's not just self-existent. God is relational. God is relational. Let's look back at uh, verses, verse 14 again. God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the Israelites. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. God is relational. How do we know that? Well, because God said, Moses, look, when you go back to Israel, tell the people, hey, this is the same God who was in a covenant relationship with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of your fathers, the God who attached himself to these people, the God who was in a relationship with these people. That's the I am. And that's the one who wants to liberate his people. That's the one who wants to fight for his people. That's the one who wants to be in a relationship with us. He said, go to Egypt and tell my people that I desire a relationship with them. This is the name for God that is always used of God's covenant relationship with his people throughout the Old Testament. It's the name Yahweh. You might have heard this name before. The name Yahweh, there are many names for God in the Old Testament, different ways of talking about him, different ways of focusing on different attributes. This one, we translate it, I am who I am, but in Hebrew, it's Yahweh. And it's the name that is always used of God when it's speaking of his relationship with his people. On the one hand, it emphasizes that he is self-existent. That seems more abstract, hard to 
hard to understand. But on the other hand, it means that he's relational. He wants a relationship with his people. He wants a relationship with you. That part doesn't seem as hard to understand. Philip Yancey said that the entire point of the Bible is this. God gets his family back. We preached on the entire story of the Bible a few months ago. We went from creation to new creation. We've seen that ever since humanity was kicked out of the garden, ever since the rebels were on the run, out of the presence of God, that God moved heaven and earth. God sent his son into the world. Why? To get his family back because God is a relational God. And that's part of the significance of this name that Moses hears when he stands at the burning bush. And that, yeah, God is this towering, self-existent, other sort of God that you can't even fathom. But he's also a relational God who wants a relationship with his people. Now, I'm going to back up here for just a second. Help you understand in case you don't know this. If you look at, at um, uh, these verses here, and any point in the Old Testament where the word Lord is expressed in all caps, like in verse 15, it says, God also said to Moses, say this to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers. You notice how the word Lord is all caps? Everybody see that? So that's uh, what that means. When you're reading that, you can know that this is the word Yahweh. This is the particular Hebrew name. Now, the Old Testament uh, Jews and, and the Jews that descended from them, they took the name Yahweh so seriously, so reverently, that they never wanted to say it out loud. So what they would do is they would take the consonants from the name Yahweh, and they would take the vowels from another name of God called, uh, we call it Adonai, and they would combine them together and then make a new word called Jehovah. Have you heard the word Jehovah? Okay. So basically, uh, it was just their way of expressing it. And the way it gets translated into English is Lord in all caps. So if you're ever reading along and you see Lord in all caps, you know that this is a reference to Yahweh. This is a reference to the self-existent God. This is a reference to the God who desires a relationship with his people. Now, I want us to go to the New Testament because we've said that this entire series is called, I am Jesus in his own words. And over the next eight weeks, we're going to be looking at the Gospel of John to explore who Jesus is in his own words. But I want us to go to start that off to John chapter 8. So John chapter 8, it's page number 950, actually 951. Page 951, I'll give you a second to turn there. So the Jewish people were super familiar with the story that we just briefly unpacked, the story of Moses standing there at the burning bush. There's probably not too many stories more significant than that one if you were Jewish. So they all knew that. And therefore, they all knew what God's name was. What was God's name? I'm sorry? Yahweh or I am who I am, right? I am is how we express it in English. And Jesus comes along 
and he starts shaking things up. Jesus is Jewish, and he comes to the Jewish people, and he has this interaction. Look at verse 52. It's about halfway down the page on page 951. Then the Jews said, Now we know you, Jesus, you have a demon. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. But you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you really greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you claim to be? If I glorify myself, Jesus answered, my glory is nothing. My father, about whom you say he is our God, he is the one who glorifies me. You do not know him, but I know him. If I were to say I don't know him, I'd be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. The Jews replied, you aren't 50 years old yet, and you've seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus was hidden and went out of the temple. Jesus is having this discussion. He's doing miracles. And so the religious leaders of his day accuse Jesus of having a demon. They're like, the, the reason you have this power is because you're, you're tapping into the spirit world. You're tapping into black magic. Jesus, you're, you're, you're a wicked person. Jesus said, no, the miracles I'm doing is because of my father. The power comes from him. And so they're having this conversation. They're having this interaction. And they're critiquing Jesus because of what he's saying about Abraham. And they're like, you, you, you said this about Abraham, but look, Abraham died off long before you came. And Jesus said, but your father Abraham, he rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. And the Jews said, but you're not even 50. You're like, you're like 30-ish. You haven't seen Abraham. What do you mean you have seen Abraham? Don't you know he died off centuries ago? Millennia ago? And you say, you claim to know Abraham. And even more radically, you claim that Abraham rejoiced to see your day. That sounds pretty arrogant, Jesus. This is the interaction that they're having with him. And Jesus responds in a very unique way. Verse 58, he says to them, truly, I tell you before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. Now, that's not normal um, language. Obviously, this is an English translation of what Jesus said in another language, but we have confidence that this is a faithful rendering of this. But if, if, um, if you were asking me how to say this, I would say, well, before Abraham was, I was. Before Abraham was, I, I lived, or I lived before Abraham, or I would phrase it some other way. But Jesus very intentionally quotes God from the burning bush. What did God say to Moses? He said, I am who I am. When you go to the people of Israel, tell them, I am has sent me. And so then Jesus stands before the religious leaders who are accusing him of doing miracles by the power of demons. And he says, oh, before Abraham was, I am. Not I was, 
I am. What is he doing? What is Jesus doing? Well, the next verse kind of makes it clear. It says, so they picked up stones to throw at him. See, the Jews understood exactly what was happening here. The Jews heard Jesus call himself Yahweh. The Jews just heard Jesus call himself the I am who I am, the I am of the burning bush. They're like, he just blasphemed. He just called himself God. He just said that he is the self-existent and relational God of the burning bush. How dare he? We got to kill him. See, people, people frequently say, and I hear this all the time, that Jesus never claimed to be God. It's a myth. simply not true. He claimed to be God a number of different places in the scriptures. One of the most clearest is this right here, where he quotes the burning bush, and he says that God in the burning bush, that's me. Before Abraham was, I am. If it seems clunky, the language, it's clunky on purpose. Jesus could have said something else that was smoother, but he's not interested in being grammatically correct. He's interested in quoting and revealing that he is the I am, that he is the I am who I am. So what Jesus is saying to anyone who will listen, and even to those who won't listen, is that he is the self-existent God. He is the one whose existence is not based upon anybody else. And maybe you're thinking, but, but Jesus' existence was based on somebody else. Don't we celebrate Christmas and we think about this baby born in a manger? And that's true. That the human that we call Jesus did come into existence at a particular moment in time through the miracle of the virgin birth. But that's not when the Son of God came into existence. See, the Son of God never came into existence. Jesus says, I've always existed. Even before I was incarnated in human flesh, even before I was, I was put into the womb of a virgin, I have always been because I am who I am. I am who I am, and there is none like me. Jesus tells the Jewish people, he tells the religious leaders that they must reckon with who he is. Some people think that we should, as Christians, forget about the Old Testament, just focus on the New Testament, but that's almost impossible to do because Jesus bases everything that he does and teaches and bases who he is upon the Old Testament. This quote doesn't make any sense unless you read the burning bush story. And it's even clearer in the original languages. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Greek. The Old Testament, uh, there was a translation of the Old Testament that Jesus used. It was called the Septuagint. It was the Old Testament in Greek. And it used the exact same words for the burning bush story that Jesus quotes and uses in Acts or in uh, John 8, 58. He's making this as crystal clear as he could. People think that Jesus never claimed to be God only because they're not Jewish. Only because we're 2,000 years removed from history. But the Jews who listened to him, they were like, did you, hear, did you hear what he just said? We have to kill him because he just declared that he was Yahweh. And there's a number of examples like that throughout the Gospels. This was as clear as he could possibly have said it in those languages. Jesus is this I am. Now, the Gospel of John, which we're going to explore, we're not going to cover every story or, or every saying of Jesus uh, over the course of the summer. We're going to spend eight weeks in the Gospel of John. 
because there are seven I am statements of Jesus in the Gospel of John. The book of John is, is structured around these seven or eight key miracles that Jesus does and then these seven key sayings of Christ. You might be familiar with some of them. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the vine. Different things like this. There are seven of them, and we are going to explore them together. And with many of these sayings, what Jesus is doing when he, he says, I am something, is he is declaring that he is God. He's wrapping himself in the Old Testament language to declare that he is Yahweh walking among his people, walking in the midst of his people. There's a lot of misconceptions about who Jesus is. There's a lot of confusion. And we all love to create him in our own image. But Jesus is not a mascot. He is the I am. He exists apart from anybody else. And he wants a relationship with us. So over the course of the summer, we're going to find out who he is. Not what theologians say. Now what pop artists say, who did he say he was? Let's grapple with his words. Let's take his words at face value to discover who Jesus is and what it means for us. So what do we do today? This has been a sort of introductory sermon. Spend a lot more time in John. Woodley next week is going to preach on something called the prologue of John's gospel, which is the first 18 verses. And in the next seven weeks, we will do each of the seven I am statements of Jesus. So that's basically the rest of our summer is, is kind of what we're doing. But w where do we walk away? How do we walk away today? What is God saying to us? I have three suggested next steps for you. I think many of you have a communication card. Um, I would suggest that on your, on your communication card, you jot down one of these three ideas. First off, that you enter into a relationship with the I am. So one of the two things, the two meanings of this name is that God is relational. This is always the name in the Old Testament. Yahweh is always the name that signifies this covenant relationship between God and his people. And then it's the name that Jesus borrows here in John chapter 8 when he says, oh yeah, that's me too. I'm the Yahweh. I'm the one who desires a relationship with my people. I would suggest that God is calling each of us to relationship with him. Perhaps you're not a Christian. Perhaps you're exploring. Perhaps you're seeking. Perhaps you're skeptical. I would say Jesus is not intimidated by your questions. Jesus is not bothered by your skepticism. Jesus can handle your questions. Jesus can handle your doubts. But what he does is he invites you into relationship. If you're not sure what that means, you're not sure what that involves, I would say that it's centered upon a cross. It's centered upon an empty tomb. Ask a friend. Talk to somebody here. You can come up and speak to me after the service. What it might look like to enter into a relationship with this self-existent God of the burning bush, with this God-man, Jesus Christ, who walked the earth 2,000 years ago. Second, I would suggest that we need to worship the I Am. If you're already a Christian, uh, this is kind of a no-brainer. This is an amazing God that we we say we serve. If if this name in Hebrew means that he's he's totally separate, 
He's not based upon anything else. He's just God. A self-existent, uncreated being. That boggles my mind. I can, I can only explain it to a certain extent. And I'm going to start tripping over myself, right? Because that's hard. That's deep. That's our God. But yet, the second meaning of the name is that he's a relational God. That same God who blows our minds is the same God who wants to be in relationship with you and with me and with us. That should cause us to drop to our knees in thanksgiving. That should cause us to stand and dance and raise our hands. That should cause us to worship the great I am. Third, I would suggest that we need to submit to the I am. So, if Jesus really is this God of the burning bush, if he is the self-existent God upon whom everything is based, he's not based upon anything else, but everything else is based upon him. If that's really who he is, then it means that he's in charge. The word Lord is what's used in the, the English translation for, for Yahweh. And so it's a word that the New Testament frequently refers to Jesus, that he is the Lord. If Jesus is the Lord, if Jesus is the king, if Jesus is the uncreated, self-existent God, that means he's in charge. And you and I need to submit to this God. Some days that'll be easy. And Jesus says stuff you like. Some days that'll be hard. And Jesus calls you to do something you don't like. But as we stand with Moses at the burning bush and we ask God, who are you really? When we hear back this answer, I am who I am, it leaves us with a choice to submit to this God of the burning bush or not. So Kanye West has been in the news recently saying some outlandish things. Uh, I want to quote from one of his songs from a few years ago where he says something even more outlandish. The song is called I Am a God. Here's what he said. I'm a God. I just, by the way, I'm going to censor some of this because of the profanity. Um, I'm a God. I just talked to Jesus. He said, what's up, Jesus? I said, I'm chilling, trying to stack these millions. I know he the most high, but I am a close high. Mikasa is Sukasa, that's our Costa Nostra. I am a God, I am a God, I am a God. Ain't no way I'm giving up on my God. Now, for Christians, that sounds pretty scandalous, right? Call yourself God. But what I want to suggest is that Kanye West is more honest than most of us. Because at the end, he says, I am a God, I am a God, I am a God, ain't no way I'm giving up on my God. What he's saying is, no way I'm giving up on me. The beginning, he's like, I'm chilling, stacking my millions. I've made myself God. There's no way I'm going to give up on me. Now, Christians could be outraged over that. I'd suggest we not be outraged because that's what we do when we sin. 
Because we say, I'm a God, I'm a God, I'm a God, ain't no way I'm giving up on me. And so we stand before the burning bush. We stand before the God of the universe. And we refuse to submit to the I am because we think we should be the one in the burning bush. We are somehow this all-exalted great I am. I think over these course of this summer, over the course of this series, as we explore who Jesus is, we're really going to have to grapple with whether or not he is the I am for us, for you, for me. Or have you made yourself the great I am? Have you made yourself the Lord? Have you ascended to the throne and made yourself God? Kanye did it. He just happened to sing about it. I think if we look in the mirror, we might discover to our chagrin that this is exactly what we do. We proclaim ourselves God, and the I am is over here in the burning bush. The risen Lord of the universe, Jesus, Yahweh in the flesh, stands there and he says, But what about me? Don't you remember who I am? Lord, 